0: I am fully convinced that the reason why so many people struggle uh, in life is because I, I, I think they've not got to the point that they put on the full armor of God. And I believe in order to be battle-ready, there's some things that we have to do, and it starts with the armor of God. So I, I, want, I want to help you with this. I want to help myself because I feel like I've experienced so much defeat in my life, and it goes back to this. I want to draw your attention, okay? This is what we're going to do. We're going to look um, Let's look at Ephesians chapter six, and I want to be expository by just going verse by verse, but also I want to, I want to dig deep and learn together what, what is meant uh, by Paul in these portions of Scripture. So you guys with me? Everybody with me? Yes, sir. All right, cool. All right, so Ephesians chapter six, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in verse 10. It says, finally, brethren. Uh, So brothers and sisters in Christ, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against uh, rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then verse 13 says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Um, Paul has wrote four, uh, four letters while in prison, one of them being this one to Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. And he's in prison in Rome, and, and while he was there, he started examining some things. There's a, a few key elements that you need to understand when it comes to the city of Ephesus that I think we all need to know. Uh, a little history here, okay? So you can understand why Paul was like, "I need to say this to this church." Is everybody with me? Yeah. So this is what it is. The background about the city of Ephesus. It's interesting because there's like three hundred thousand people in this city. That's crazy, right? It was like the New York City of that time, um, and then in, 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 it was this trading center, if you would. It was the location. This epicenter for trade. And then they had this beautiful theater that had 25. It could literally seat, some say between 25,000 and 50,000 people, which is crazy for this period of time. But not only that, but it was a tourist area. It was the center for Greek and Roman mythology. It was this area that people were just drawn to. Uh, It was a vacation spot for most. And so, when they would get there, the, the, in the city, uh, center of the city was this temple to the goddess Diana. And a lot of people were so drawn to this because it had these beautiful, huge pillars, like a hundred of them. And it was a massive temple. And so, like New York City, when I went to New York, everybody was selling little statues of liberty. How many have been to New York? All right, so you know what I'm talking about. They would sell little statues of Diana. And people just love this idea of this goddess. And she was like the centerpiece of what was going on in the city. And the temple was in the midst of the city. And it it was actually ranked uh, as one of the seven wonders of that period of time of the ancient world. It was amazing. It's like one pillar left now. So (laughs) nothing lasts. But the influence of this city uh, of Ephesus was very unique because it had such a strong uh, grip even on Christianity, uh, the paganism influenced the church through the politics, culture, socially, everything revolved around this goddess Diana, and so you don't cross Diana. This is what we do, you know. This is this is our emphasis. This is our focus, and so the persecution of the church was really heavy. And basically, they're like, you're either with us or, or you're not. Because you're not welcome here. Your doctrine, your Christianity, it's not going to be welcome here unless you jump on board with us. Syncretism is the idea of combining multiple religions together. And their idea was, you know what? I'll tell you what. You're welcome here if you blend your ideas with our ideas. You see what I'm saying? So your God thing, your Jesus idea... It's okay as long as it doesn't contradict our ideas. And so Ephesus was constantly, the city city was constantly pushing this idea. And so the church was like, oh, there's so much pressure. And then there was already division in the church because of the Gentiles and the Jews. And the Gentiles didn't see things the same way as the Jews because they had a lot of traditional ideas. And so you put all that together. Each one of these elements uh, created this like strong discord for the church. There was problems within the church. And so Paul reaches out to the church and says, listen, you guys out of all people need something drastically. And this is what you need. You need to be battle ready because you're dealing with spiritual warfare and you need to be equipped to battle those things. And so each of these elements are in conjunction with where the church is today. I, don't, I feel pressure. I don't know if you guys do, but there's a lot of pressure today to bow the knee to whatever the ideas the world comes up with. The narrative, like, you're you're against this? You're you're against this idea? No, that's not going to fly. Well, that puts pressure on families, and people are starting to to, to bend to these ideas. And so that's why Paul goes on further and says, because of these challenges, he urges the church to stand. And he says... I want you to stand, which just means don't waver, don't back down, don't give up, don't give in, just stay focused. And he says over and over again, stand, stand, stand. Don't don't get discouraged. It's going to be all right. And then he says, put on the whole armor of God in verse 11, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And he said, because you're not just dealing with the average circumstances. Culturally, you're dealing with things that are manipulating in in, in deceiving the church you're getting pulled in and so what he says is the wiles of the devil are simply this it's Satan's way to manipulate the minds of the church to get them to fall for these traps and these tricks if you would and he said don't do it stand firm so Ephesus faces these everyday challenges and if there's something not implemented into the church like the armor of God they're just going to fall apart so all that little background there This wasn't just a cultural conflict in the city of Ephesus. It was a spiritual battle. Now, I want you not to get weird on me with this. I don't want you to check out and be like, "Dave, Dave, we're going in left field here. But here's what the Bible says when it comes to spiritual warfare in verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not a physical battle that we're in, but against principalities, against powers and against rulers of darkness of this world. There's things bigger going on that meets the, then meets the eye. We have a big problem on our hands. Tony Evans, incredible preacher in, in Dallas, Texas, said it this way. We see the physical fruit of the spiritual root. In other words, what he's saying is this. We're, we're seeing the physical aftermath of the spiritual battle. The root of the problem is the spiritual warfare that's raging around us, and we can't see it with the human eye, but it's putting pressure on us and, and, and it's, 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 it's putting pressure on society and culture to do things that are contrary to the Bible. And in the end, we're seeing the spiritual warfare defeat families, marriages, kids. Now you have depression and anxiety. And all of it goes back to what's going on behind the scenes, the spiritual warfare. I, is everybody with me? Y'all cool? All right. I want to make sure you're focused. Our defeat in life comes from a loss, the loss of spiritual, uh, a spiritual loss, uh, losing the battle. So how do we win a spiritual battle if we live in a physical world? And 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 how do we do this? And I think the answer comes in verse 11: to put on. I, I know it does. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then the next verse. Excuse me. Skip verse 12. Go to verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you can stand in the evil day. So, according to Paul, we can win because we've already been provided everything we need to win the battle. Uh, We're given everything we need. All the tools we need that are necessary to win, he says, you've got it. So, Paul uses a metaphor of a Roman soldier's army while in prison because he's examining these guys. He sees the way they're dressed And he says, you know, each one of these pieces are very unique. And symbolically speaking, they're the same for a Christian. And so he concludes that this metaphorical body armor of a Christian is the only way to win the spiritual battle. So he gives it to us. Men, women, all of us must put on the armor of God. So the key to being battle ready is to put on the whole armor of God. I'm... Fully convinced the reason why Christians are being defeated is because they haven't put on the full armor of God. They're like leaving pieces out. Okay? I've done this so often. I hate IKEA furniture. Please tell me, I'm not the only one that's put IKEA furniture together. I get so discouraged with IKEA furniture that I'll intentionally go. Is this step really necessary? I mean, I wonder if these are just extra parts. But they're not extra parts. Every piece is important. Because if you leave anything out, it's going to just fall, right? It's not going to hold together. And I've tried to do that. I've tried to leave some pieces out, and then the desk doesn't look right, and it's lopsided, and it just falls apart. And then you literally have to go back and start over because they're actually, they know what they're doing. There's these steps in place that are necessity. I know I joke around my brother, Denny. Um, I mean, I've said this. I'm not endorsing the TV show, but The Office. My brother is Michael off The Office, my oldest brother. And I can't even believe he has a pilot license. It's amazing. He lives in Alabama. he told me last time I was home, I told some of you guys this, it's just funny. (laughs) He said, Dave, one time I was in a hurry to get up, you know, in the sky, fly a little bit. And so I, I hurried through all the checkoff list and I got up in the air and I'm just enjoying it. And I noticed something was splashing on my windshield. And he said, I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I heard this racket, something just banging on the side of the the plane. And he said, Then I realized I'm losing gas, a lot of gas. And then he said, I know I'm losing gas because I didn't do all the checkoff, which was make sure you put the gas cap back on. So it was like siphoning out and just going all over the plane. <laughs> and then the gas cap was slinging back and forth on the chain, being up the plane. And he said, You know, luckily I, I landed and everything was cool. What's the moral of the story? You can't skip pieces, it's all important. But what we do as Christians when it comes to the armor of God, it's like, you know what? I think I'm good if I just put the breastplate on and the belt and the shoes and leave off the helmet. It doesn't work that way. So we have to have it all. And Christians need to learn it's a necessity not to skip any part or you'll lose the battle. Something bad's going to happen. Verse 13 says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. This is a part that people bypass. Notice Paul emphasizes two words here, evil day. Because in verse 13, it's important to include this. Believers are going to experience the evil day. Whether you like it or not, your day is coming. So what is the evil day? That's the day that the enemy has picked for you to inflict battle. That's the day he's going to make war with you. And you say, when is it going to come at your weakest moment when you literally have left some of the pieces off and you're not ready for him? And when that day, when that day comes, literally all hell will break loose on you. And I am fully convinced that he is he's figuring out the exact time to make his move. Is it Satan himself? No, I think he has bigger fish to fry than anybody in here. But there's plenty of fallen angels, as we refer to as demons or devils or so on. But the point is, is this. They are very in tune with where you are with your wife, with your husband, with your kids, with what your struggles are. And they're watching because the armor of God to them is the only thing that's going to prevent them from making their move and winning. So the evil day, when it comes, it's it's going to catch you off guard it, it looks different for everybody. Nobody's going to have the same type of evil day. You know, for some, it's their marriage, and for some, it's their kids. And Satan's looking at it like you're this close to divorce or separation, so now is the time to make the move. Your kids are just on the edge of rebellion. Ah, now's the time to make that move. I've had family members that they waited to that moment to make that move, that evil day, when they questioned everything, and then the move was made And that family member tried to commit suicide because they were so overwhelmed with depression and anxiety and frustration and felt worthless. I mean, there's no doubt the evil day is going to come. In order to be ready for the evil day, you have to put on all six pieces of the armor. You can't skip any. And, and, And Paul makes it very clear that God gives us the armor, but he didn't put it on us. We have to put it on ourselves. Is everybody on the same page with me? So now let's just jump in it. And so this this day in next Sunday, I just want to talk about being battle-ready, and I'm going to break it up into two parts, okay? And it's going to make sense why I'm doing this. So uh, in preparation for the evil day, Paul divides the armor into two different parts, um, two different categories of three. And he introduces them with a different verb. First three are introduced with the verb to be. This is very interesting. As you look into this, this, the second three are introduced with the verb to take. And so Paul switches the verbs halfway through the armoring of the soldier. And and because he wants you to understand there's two distinct and different orientations, if you would, uh, of these six pieces of armor. And it's very important to get this or you're not going to understand how to put the armor on. So the, the, the first three to be relates to the state that you should always be in. All right, and those are the ones we're going to look at, and then and then the last three to take is is what we use uh, as as we need them. All right, so it's kind of like this. I I heard one preacher put it this way: It's like a baseball player. Y'all with me so far? He goes to play the game, and he's waiting till it's his turn to play, but he's in uniform. Right? He has the shoes on, he has the uniform on, he he is ready to go. To be, he's, he's in that state of being a baseball player. But he doesn't pick up the bat until it's time. And he doesn't pick up the mitt until it's time. And when it's time, then he picks up the bat because he's up to bat. Or he's picking up the mitt because he's the catcher. But he doesn't use those until the time is right. Same with the Roman soldier. Pick up the sword. He doesn't put on the helmet. He doesn't pick up the shield until it calls for it. But he's always in uniform. So the first three pieces are where we're at right now, okay? We're always to be in uniform. So I'm going to draw your attention to this, and I want you to understand this is the part you got to get. Y'all with me? Yeah. Don't miss this. Every piece of armor, all six, are the, are the Bible. It's the Word of God. It's just different ways to use it. You understand? Yeah. So we're going to look at these different aspects, and when you get it, you're going to be like, okay, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to go into battle. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Stand therefore having your loins girded about with truth. This is simply put, this is the belt of truth. How many have already heard about the belt of truth? Would you raise your hand? All right, if it's new to you, that's that's okay, because there's something that's very uh, unique about the belt of truth. There's a purpose for the soldier's belt. A soldier would use this belt to hold each piece of the uniform together. Uh, it was right in the center of it all. So nothing would work unless he put the belt on because the belt would hold the breastplate on, it would hold the the tunic on, and it was also to free that soldier to fight when he needed to, but it also hold the sheath that hold the sword. So without the belt, nothing worked. Everybody with me? So it's at this moment that Paul's like, listen, if you don't have the belt, then nothing will hold together. And the belt is referred to as the belt of truth. For these reasons, he references it as truth because truth holds life together, all right? And and it is truth that sets us free to know the truth. It's not just understanding it or thinking on it. You've got to know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So he says, we have to start off with this piece of armor. It's the first piece out of six. And you put it on and you keep it on. It's the belt of truth. And so the question is, what is truth? Everybody is asking nowadays, what is truth? And this has been a question from the beginning of time. I mean, even with Adam and Eve, when Satan was in the form of a serpent at the very beginning of the garden of Eden, he said, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. In other words, is what God said the truth? Is it really true? Even Pontius Pilate, at the trial of Jesus Christ, asked the question, and it was a famous question that we see in biblical history, what is truth? What's truth? And still today, people are going, mm, what is truth? Is there absolute truth? And, and, and the answer is yes. There is truth, and there is absolute truth. Here's the thing about truth. Truth is is an absolute standard by which reality is measured. If people could catch on to that, they wouldn't be so confused. Here it is. Truth is reality in its original form. Are you all with me? So if truth is reality in its original form, then truth is defined by the very nature of Jesus Christ himself because he is the original form of truth. Some people are like, "Ah, I don't know if I agree with that. Hmm. Well, the reality is a lot of people may not agree with that. And it's because it's not that they don't uh, believe that there's truth. They just don't believe Jesus is the authority of truth. So if you don't believe that Jesus is the foundation, the authority of truth, then you don't really believe in the absolute truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am means I am the authority. Everything stops with me and begins with me. I am truth. And if you bypass me, then there is no absolute truth. From the very beginning of time, Jesus has been the original standard of truth. This is the most simplistic thing in life. If we could get this or our kids could get this, life just becomes a lot more easy. Because moral law makes sense. You know, thou shall not kill. Why shall I not kill? Because the Bible says in the Ten Commandments, you shouldn't kill. That is the standard. It is the truth, all right? So for us, it seems like, well, it's a no-brainer. But the problem is with people, they don't want to accept that. They rather convert that to their truth. Uh, While giving her speech at the Golden Globes, Oprah said, speak your truth or speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we have. No, (laughs) no, it's not. Knowing truth is the most powerful tool you have. And knowing Jesus Christ is knowing truth. So if the answer is what she said, then the truth is defined by you. There's no foundation of the truth. It's whatever you make it to be. There is absolute truth, and it can't be defined by you. It's defined by him. And so with this, it is important for us to understand that by knowing truth, We can't allow our opinions to dilute the truth. I don't know any other way to do it than this, because this morning I was like, I love monsters. Like, this particular one (laughs) I love. It's the hydro. And so this morning I got, like, a Starbucks because I love Starbucks. And then I was like, I need more energy. So I went and got this. I know. I already had, like, five shots of espresso, too. But you know why I like this drink? Because the hydro makes me think I'm doing something really good. It, because on the back of it, the ingredients, the number one ingredient is, is water. I'm getting nutrition. I'm being hydrated. Y'all following me? So I feel really good about that. But the nutrition is, is removed by all the other things that are added to it. So these words that I can't even read, I don't even know what's in here, I can't even understand it, means that this is no longer nutrition for me. This is not going to benefit me because it's been diluted. This is, this is the world's view of truth. I got an idea what truth is. It has some nuggets that are right, but in reality, it's been diluted by man's mentality. It's like going into a carnival and saying, I want an apple because the apples are healthy. And then they dip it in caramel, and then you're like, oh yay. And we have dipped the philosophy, we've dipped truth in the philosophy of men, in the ideas of men, in the ideas of social media, and the ideas of our friends and family. And then we come out with no nutrition because it's been so diluted, there's no value left, there's no authority left. It's just this feel-good idea that this is what I think and what I think is good. That's our own truth. And it's no longer the reality of what truth really is. Truth has been compromised. So Paul makes it clear, in order to win the spiritual battle, you have to have truth. Now, this is very important to understand going along with this. Not just truth. He said you have to have the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Why would I say it that way? Because the Greek translation of the word truth in this passage of Scripture is defined as logos, which means the whole word of God. So the truth, the belt that holds everything together, is not portions of the Bible, it's the whole Bible. In other words, Paul is saying this: if you can't start off believing the whole Bible for what it is, then nothing else is going to work. Because the belt of truth represents all of it. Ramos, or ramos is defined as pieces of the Bible. Those are like the sword of the spirit. It's a piece of. Of the Word of God. We use it as we need to. It's like I have a life verse. This is my verse for today. Great, you're gonna use it to strike the enemy. But logos means the whole word of God. This is this is what I believe, and it's it's that belt of truth. So what people do is they treat the Bible like a buffet. They go in the buffet and they're like, I like this, I like this, I don't like that. That's broccoli. I'm not gonna accept broccoli. Wait a second! I'll take the broccoli if I put the cheese on top of the broccoli. Now I've diluted the bo- broccoli, and it's my truth. It feels good to me, and I like it. It doesn't work that way. Does everybody understand? Uh, you know, and there's a difference. And I'm gonna. I know some of people are gonna go, "What? You can't say that." Do you realize facts are not truth? said, what? That doesn't make sense. I, I, about a couple of months ago, had uh, the inability to breathe well. And I didn't want to face the fact that it could be because I'm overweight. And I'm like, there's something wrong. And I told Brie, there's something wrong with me. She said, Well, go to urgent care. So I'll go to urgent care. They scan my lungs, and she comes in, she goes, There's an issue. And I don't want to alarm you, but something doesn't look right. there's a spot on your lungs. And I'm like, Well, thanks for being so calm about it. You know, that's not a that's not a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to me. So she goes, Go to the emergency room, they'll do more in depth scans, but there is a spot, fact, there is a spot on your lungs. So we go to the emergency room, they scan my lungs. She comes in, and the lady says, Listen, you have nothing to worry about. There was a spot on your lungs, fact, but the truth is it was a shadow, and a shadow can't hurt you, right? The reality when it comes to truth is this it's not about your feelings, it's not about your emotions. It's not about what you say. Fact, this is the way I feel. Fact, this is the way I think. Fact and truth are two different things. Are you all with me? Truth doesn't care about your thoughts or your feelings. Truth is absolute because the origin of truth is Jesus Christ. He's the authority of truth. Truth is the standard. Once you know the standard, then you'll know what's right and what is wrong. Everybody with me? So the idea of somebody... If a woman says, I feel that I am this, let's say a boy, I feel this is what I am. And, and, and that is the fact of my feelings. These are my emotions. These are my thoughts. These are my ideas. But truth is you are biologically a woman regardless. And so that becomes a confusion because they're like, but what about my facts? What about my Feelings? What about the gender idea versus your sexual idea? No, it always has to go back to truth because if we bypass that, then we have no moral law and we have no foundation, we have no standard, and then everything becomes confusing. And the next thing you know, we have 12 year olds dictating what is right and what is wrong. And we have people making their own ideas up because it's in their brain, and there's some scary brains out there. And so by the end of it, there's utter chaos, and everybody's like, hey, I'm this, and I'm that, and I feel this, and I feel that. And we all feel something. But feelings is not truth. So if we don't get that, then we won't be able to get the next piece. Truth is the standard by which God operates. Wow. So this connection is important to the next piece. So you have the the belt. (laughs) And then the next piece is the breastplate. Of righteousness, which I'm not going to say as much about this. The first one was so important for me just to go on and on about, you know, to the point you're like, would you please go, (laughs) let's go to the next point, Dave. But if you don't have truth, you can't, you can't have the rest because it holds it all together. So it kind of like, I want to, I want to take you to this next piece because it's very important. The press plate of righteousness you cannot wear the breastplate of righteousness if you do not have truth. Because without truth, you have no moral compass. And without a moral compass, you won't know what's right and what's wrong. Does that make sense? So I have the word of God. I know what to do with my life. This determines what is right and what is wrong and what is righteous. So with that, now I can take up the next piece of armor, which is the breastplate. Ephesians 6.14 Chapter 6 and verse 14, having on the breastplate of righteousness. So the breastplate was pretty obvious what it was used for. Uh, It was made differently back then than some of the breastplates we see today Uh, for the military. It was woven chains, interlinked rings, metal. Some were just uh, solid pieces of metal on the front and the back strapped with leather. And I believe for the Roman soldiers, that was pretty much the concept. For for other regions, it was the, the links of chain. And it was all about this. I need to protect my lungs, my heart, and my inner organs from being stabbed. I don't want to be ran through with a sword, so I put this on to protect myself. One of those key parts is the heart. And so for Paul, he was like, you know what? That breastplate is very important in order to stay alive. And so it goes like this. Paul emphasizes the word righteousness because we do not protect ourselves with with anything else. It's basically where we decide that we are not going to choose to live it our way. We're going to do it God's way, and God's way always protects us. When we don't do that, we open ourselves for attacks, and the attack never ends well. So let me paint the picture. You do not put the breastplate on. You're not living a righteous life. You're flirting with the person you work with. One thing leads to another. Next thing you know, Satan makes his move. He gets your heart. You, lose, you fall out of love with the one you married, and things just start to crumble. Because there's not righteousness in your life. You're not protecting yourself. A, right, a righteous life is a choice we make every single day. In, in other words, choosing to live right will keep us from living wrong. I know that seems so simplistic. It's just the way it is. Um, The Bible says in Titus 2, chapter 2, 11 and 12, for for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness. In worldly lust, we should live soberly, and here's the word, righteously and godly in this present world. Um, Why is it so important? Because righteousness is what protects the heart. I mean, it's like putting off the old man and saying, I need to make sure that I am living a lifestyle that's honoring and pleasing to God. And so let me make it simple for you so you, you can hold on to this, this truth. There, there are three things that, are, that you must consider when it comes to your heart, okay? Everybody with me? All right. I know it's a little warm in here. Your heart is easily influenced. How many would agree with that? My, my heart can be easily influenced. Well, it's biblical. That's why. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. So righteousness means you're rejecting bitterness. It's like, you know what? It's so easy to let things creep into our heart and captivate us and corrupt us. And so your heart is easily influenced. But also this, your heart determines your direction. Um, The Bible puts it this way in Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Your heart determines the direction you'll go in life. You, you can look at a child, and, 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 and you know how you can tell with some kids, like where they're at, if they have rebellion, if they're angry, if there's some, usually that will tell you what direction they're going to go in life. I hate it when people are so judgmental of children, but it's the reality. When you look at a kid like, man, that kid right there, he's going to be bad news when he gets older. He's going to end up in jail. He, I heard somebody jokingly say, man, that kid right there is, he's got the potential to be a serial killer. You know, maybe that's a little extreme. But what they're saying is, I don't need a fortune cookie to tell me what's going on in that guy's life. It's not because you're trying to be judgmental. It's just the reality of, uh, out, of the hearts, or, out of the heart is the issue of life. I mean, what's in here comes out uh, here. You know what I'm saying? And so that's another reason why we got to be like, okay, I'm easily influenced your, my heart determines my direction in life. And then the heart, you know, obviously must be protected. Flee also for uh, youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace. And, and, and then the Bible goes on because you need a pure heart. So, all of this is important to understand that that breastplate is what's protecting your heart. And that breastplate is righteousness it's me choosing to do that which is right according to what I know the Bible says. Uh, The scripture views the heart like this. It's the seat of your emotion, your desires, your your, your conscience, and your will. And if the devil can get that, then he controls every aspect of your life. So you protect the heart. That's why I love the verse that we've learned since we were kids, if you've been in church. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Hide God's word in your heart to protect you. So the belt of truth holds the breastplate of righteousness in place. And, and, and it is that righteousness that protects the heart. And so it all works together. So it brings me to the next one and the last one. And this one's very simple. The breastplate is in conjunction with the shoes. You say, but it's up here, but it all works together. Because if a soldier doesn't in his heart believe in what he's battling, he's not going to go to war. So when we get to the next piece, this is important to understand. The third piece, the shoes of the gospel of peace, do not work unless you believe in going forward to the war. I believe in what what I'm doing. You believe in what you're doing. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you've accepted Christ in your life, there's a change in your life. And you want to do that which is right. You have purpose. When the soldier wasn't in war, he'd have lighter sandals, but when he went to war, he'd put on these heavier sandals with these studs in the bottom of them. It was to have that sheer footing, you know what I mean? Kind of like a football player or a baseball player. They had those studs, those like cleats, you know? And this would provide that soldier with that sheer footing. And so when it comes to these shoes, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the Bible says in your feet, in verse 15, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace is, like, not that difficult to understand, um, but the word preparation can sometimes be misunderstood. So let's get some clarity so you know how to do this. The word is translated readiness. So basically it's like this. There are two things that must be understood when it comes to the preparation or readiness of the soldier in his shoes. If you get this, I think you can close out the day pretty easy, you know. It's the going of the soldier. That means Paul understood that the soldier was always ready to go to war. It's like, I got these shoes on. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to face the battle. Uh, One preacher said it this way. The feet of the soldier represent the faith of the soldier because we walk by faith and not by sight. I'm just trusting Christ. I'm going to go to war. I'm going to do what I need to do because I believe in it. David said, remember, David that killed Goliath, the same David that became the king of Israel, Before he killed Goliath, he said, is there not a cause? I mean, this guy is running his mouth about God's people, and he ran. If you read the passage of Scripture about David when he killed Goliath, he he ran to Goliath because he went to war. He believed in it, and he was ready to fight for it. And also, it's the giving of the soldier, and I'll say it this way. It's not just the going, it's the giving, which brings into the gospel. We are not just going to war, but we are giving the gospel, The readiness means to be always according to 1 Peter 3.15 to give an answer. I mean, people want an answer in life because they're so confused. I want to go to people and give them what's truth because I have that. And so I want you to get this all together. The Apostle Paul warns that if there's any other gospel preached than outside of what the Bible says, then reject it. The gospel is simplistic It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and is the salvation that he offers. He offers us the gospel of peace upon which we firmly stand. Basically, the gospel is this. I believe in Jesus Christ. He lived, he died, he rose again, and he is the only God in existence that I will trust for my salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way. I firmly stand with these feet of the, of the gospel of peace in what I believe. And I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to go and tell others the truth of the gospel because it all boils down to the last word, which is the gospel of peace. It all comes down to that word. Peace, Jesus said, I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the word, world gives. The world's got a weird idea of peace. Jesus didn't actually say it that way. But, but I give unto you this peace that, that's not going to cause trouble. In the world, you're going to get trouble. But what I'm giving you is something that you can stand firm and strong in. It's a peace. Everybody wants peace. You know what's cool about the word peace in this verse? It's not just the normal idea of peace. The peace in this this verse, the, the word peace in this verse, is represented as complete peace. It's not just like I have peace today. No, I live in peace. I'm confident in who I am. Because I believe the whole word of God the belt of truth, and I am protecting my heart with righteousness. And because of that, I am willing to go and tell others that this is the truth. Jesus Christ is the gospel, and he's going to give you a peace. All right, man, wow. I felt like this was a Bible class more than just a Sunday morning. <laughs> I don't think I've ever preached this way in 20 years. You know, it's just different, right? But it's a reality. We have to learn. I mean, I feel like people are not equipped. So right now, I mean, if you could put your spiritual glasses on, right, and look at yourself, you've got to ask yourself, do I have the belt of truth on? And, and do I believe it? Do I believe the whole Word of God is the Word of God and, and it's inspired by God? And if I believe that, then I can apply it and I'm going to put the breastplate on. That means I'm going to live what I believe, right? No more confusion. No more like wishy-washy. Well... I don't know if I really believe that. No, no, you believe it. Quit diluting it. Quit drinking the hydro. All right? Just just own it, man. Just own it and love it. You know, you're like, well, I feel like a weirdo. You're not a weirdo. I mean, it's the foundation of our faith. It's the truth, and it guides you. And if you believe it, then you'll go tell people about it. And that's the go. I'm going to go to war with Satan. I don't want to fight Satan. Really, I don't. But if he comes after me, I want to have that uniform on. And next week, we're going to talk about the next pieces. And I think you're going to be like, whoa, didn't see that coming. Because we have the helmet, we have the shield, and we have the sword of the spirit. And each of those are ready to go. But you ain't got them on just yet. You're the baseball player. You're ready every single day in your uniform.